thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you. I just, I receive that and I join with you in really applauding Jesus. Isn't he so worth it? So worth it to go anywhere to do anything. This is incredible. I'm so indebted to missionaries because I met the Lord on the island of Taiwan 47 years ago because someone across the street decided to talk with me and pray for me. And it made the difference. So I'm here because of that. I want to say this. Do you have any idea what an incredible church you are? I I mean, you are light in the Kansas City area. All those from LifeGate love you. They want to think of excuses to come here just so they can be with you because you feel like family to them. And yet you have someone and some ones who are big deals. Did you know that Pastor David and Renata are a big, big deal? They're a big deal. Now, here, now you think you know. You don't know. Because when I go to conferences around the nation, there's David Perkins. And, and I'm like, well, I'm so glad that he's here. No, they're going to have him speak. He's not just here. They're going to have him speak. And this happens over and over and over. And we're indebted as a family because he so influenced our children and now they're grown-ups, and, and the movement of God through him for intimacy with God and for prayer and for life in God is incredible, unique, and powerful. And then bring Renata into the mix, and it gets wild. It's off the chain with these two. It's incredible. You know, certain things that he says I'll never forget. He, he says, God hears and loves weak prayers right here which is so incredible and that God hides from us, but he leaves his foot out in hide and seek so we can find him. So many things have influenced me, influenced our church, but you need to know this. On a national and international level, God is using your pastor to change all of us, and I praise God for him, for Renata, for the team. And for you, I bless God. Would you give your pastors a round of applause? Would you two please stand? You two. Yes. Yes. Oh, praise I'm so thrilled to be here because I believe this. Certain messages will just, hopefully all messages will change your life. But I believe if you take this message to heart, your life will never be the same And the lives of those in your spheres of influence will never, ever, ever be the same because he's worth it and because Jesus wants this. And so we're going to talk about divine intersections. You know, intersections are very interesting. They, uh, they keep things flowing correctly. And in that intersection, there is a need to be prepared to yield. I have a Mini Cooper. I'll be in an intersection and there'll be someone next to me. They'll roll down their window and I'm like, 
maybe this is a new friend. And I'll roll my window down and they'll say, you want to put that in the back of my truck? My Mini Cooper. <laughs> and I, I say, you want to die right now? Or I mean, something like, so all kinds of th all things can happen in these intersections. I want to show you a picture of intersections spiritually, which I think are important for us to understand. Now, notice here, you don't know what this means, but the primary intersection, I think that's so significant, is G and M. That's God and me. Aren't you glad God intersected your life? Now, here's the thing. He probably used people. And so we see this reality God and others, God is working to intersect other people's lives. Whether you know this or not, every single person that you meet today, tomorrow, the next day, and on and on and on, God is intersecting them. The question is whether or not they recognize him. You see, the first intersection is they wake up in the morning. The next intersection is that the sun rises. All these are revelations of God, but they may not recognize it. They need help in this intersection understanding. And so then we have God and others, and then me and others. How will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone preaches to them? Now, translate preach, talk with, okay? Don't, you don't have to be a preacher, all right? And so we have this movement of intersections that's happening continuously with the longing of our Father for all of us to know Jesus and be transformed in his beautiful image for God's glory and for the good of other people. And so all these intersections are happening. Here's the big question. Will you be willing to be a participant in God's divine and profound intersections? I like this statement. God's life-filled intersections are all about staying fully attuned and cooperating with the movement and the leading of the Holy Spirit. God's intersections are happening all the time. Will we cooperate with the Holy Spirit? Now, here's our reference point. This is home base, and I don't know if you can hear that echo, but it's kind of funky up here, and this team is powerful in the back, and I know they'll work it out. And so our passage is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. Paul is speaking to Timothy. He's admonishing him, and in most translations, you're going to hear this, uh, preach the good news. But I love how the Message Bible puts that word because it makes it applicable to all of us, which it really is. It says in verse 5, wait, Holy Spirit, we need you so much. Take these words, make them alive to us so they change us. In Jesus' name, amen. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Work at telling others the good news. Would you say that? Work at telling others the good news. It involves a decision. It involves some kind of effort and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. This ministry is from God. This would be Debbie's 51st jump outside of Phoenix, Arizona several years ago. 31-year-old school teacher, and she is a skydiver. She was jumping with five other people, and their goal was to link hands. You've seen it before. 
It's called insanity, okay? And they're linking hands and they're careening down toward the earth, but she never had one single thought that day that she would have a near-death accident in what was supposed to be fun together with friends. When they jumped out of the airplane, she was a little behind. She did a maneuver called a corkscrew to speed her up to get to the group, but she miscalculated and her head hit the back of another one of the skydivers and it caused her to be knocked unconscious. She was flailing like a rag doll toward the earth When Gregory Robertson, who was just jumping out of the plane, saw this skydiving expert, and he noticed this as he jumped out and took immediate action. Those who watched, including Debbie's husband, say, although Debbie was falling at 150 miles an hour. Have you ever done that on a back road? Confessions, come on. Okay, 150 miles an hour, Gregory put his hands on his sides and increased his speed to 180 miles an hour. At 9,000 feet, she was now down 5,000 more feet, and he comes rushing down. The husband said, it looked like Superman. He immediately reached her, grabbed her, turned her into a seated position, and then pulled her chute, and down she went with her chute, deployed. He did his own. Unfortunately, because it was the secondary shoot, she fell very, very hard on the earth. It broke her ribs. It gave her a serious head injury and extensive internal injuries. And she is alive and well to tell about this terrible occurrence. Gregory Robertson, AK Superman, saved the day. And then the reporters came with the emergency vehicles. And of course, they're there with their microphones. And they asked Gregory, how did you feel? I mean, how did you feel? How did you feel, Gregory? And he just really kind of calmly said, someone tried to die in my drop zone and I didn't like it. Someone tried to die in my drop zone and I didn't like it. And after that, he repacked his parachute and went up for his 1,501st next jump successfully. Oh, Holy Spirit, give us a sense of our drop zone. And then, Lord, give us a supernatural sense of what kind of Christian you want us to be. Lord, do you want us to be, and heads up, this is my drop zone Christian, Or do you want us to be, oh God, thank you for saving me. I so appreciate you. Thank you that you're my peace today. Thank you that if my coffee's not hot enough, I'm gonna be okay and I'm gonna live with you for all eternity, Christian. Drop zone, Christian, or it's all about me, Christian. You see, we work at telling others the good news because we've been rescued. And one of the things I've never forgotten was how, how in need of rescue I was. I, I've never forgotten what it feels like to have a guilty conscience day in, day out, trying to make up for it, not being able to sleep because I'm guilty. Oh, that we would never forget that. And that when I was forgiven, the guilt was gone. 
and the peace was there, and the tears began to flow, and it was incredible. I love Brandon Lake's song, on, it's called Gratitude. I love the chorus, you probably do. It says, so come on, my soul, and don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song, because you got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Well, I want to say this. You have a rescuer in your soul. Yes, you have a lion to sing to God, and God wants you to sing to him with all your heart, but you need to be able to, along with myself and all of us, say to our soul, come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me, because you have a rescuer inside of you that God wants you to let out. Do you know the reasons to not share Jesus? You know all of them. You know, I don't know what to say. Do you know, it's in our day, in our culture, it's offensive to people. It's always been offensive to people, by the way. It's nothing new whatsoever. You know, <laughs> Pastor Les, you're up there and you're all wound up and stuff, but I I'm not an extrovert, you see. I am an introvert. And so introverts, we just don't do this. And you know what, I'm afraid that I might get rejected. They might say, what are you trying to say? But our call from Jesus, and it's the least we can do, is the great commission and the great commandment. You see, when we've come to Jesus, he commissions us to go and make disciples. Let me put it in another way. Go rescue people into my life, my love, and my kingdom, and my ways. Go rescue. You be poised. If I were to say to you, when you go home today and you see smoke billowing out of your neighbor's roof and you see little flicks of fire coming through the roof, do you think you'd be willing to rescue them? You're saying, you don't know my neighbor, man. You know what? Immediately you'd be banging on that door because the Great Commission is more than some advice from Jesus or something he requires. It's a sense of desperation on our planet. Our planet is in desperate straits right now. Every nation is in upheaval. All the people are in upheaval. And God says, my rescue plan is one person at a time through love. Well, what motivates you? The Great Commandment that you're to love others as he has loved you. In the same way, and the more love of God that gets in you, the more then you want to be a rescuer. Now here's the profound thing. Gregory Robertson had great abilities because of the number of times. So some would say he looked like Superman without a cape. Can you just see him? It's just incredible. But do you understand this? No other person in the whole world but you and, and I, we have superpower. Are you aware that you have superpowers? They go to Nepal, they put their hand on a person who is an epileptic, and that lump on the head goes down and they are healed. That is supernatural power. And Jesus said this to his disciples, and he says it to you today. You shall receive power that's not yours. You shall receive superpower when my spirit comes upon you. And so Christians aren't just people who know the Bible. They're people who love people enough to rescue them, who love them enough to love them, and then they have superpower to back it up. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an exciting life right there. 
Paul says this, don't be afraid of suffering. Don't be afraid of someone rejecting you. What's the worst that that, that can happen? Instead, he says, work at telling others the good news. Now, let me tell you how the Holy Spirit tends to operate. And I believe all this because you're hearing me now and you're like, he's so intense. I can't be like him. This is too hard. I'm afraid. You know, people don't listen to me. I know all, this, uh, all the excuses because I've lived them. But let me show you how this superpower Holy Spirit tends to operate. And you'll go, oh, it's, I, you're going to end by saying this. I can do that. I can do that. Here's the first way he operates. Proximity. Proximity. He tends to operate where you are regularly. Where you are regularly. He says this, and the Great Commission is really this. It's not go and make disciples. It's really literally in the Greek. As you're going, make disciples. As you're going, well, as you're going shopping, make disciples. As you're going to the gym, make disciples. You see, we'll often see the spirit move in direct proportion to our willingness to leave our comfort zones. You know what that means? That means you're in the checkout line. Your comfort zone is dink, 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 bump, and then you're done. That's your comfort zone. Watch this, watch this. You're going to be blown away. To step out of your comfort zone, watch this, watch this. How are you today? <laughs> now, you, you don't think that's important. But when you realize that woman has not had one person see her or say, how are you in a month? You don't realize the power you have. But your comfort zone is, man, I got to get home, kid. And the, how long is it going to take to say, how are you? And for her to say, all right. And for you to say, having a tough day. And for her to say, yeah. And for you to say, I'm so sorry. That's it. Wait a second, you didn't lead her to the Lord. No, while I was going, I expressed comfort and I look forward to seeing her again. Because God's going to build this connection here. He's going to grow it. It's the same with your neighbors. One of the most beautiful things and terrible things about our reality is our garage door. We have windows in my garage door. Do you do this? Before I open my garage door, I check out the window because I right across the street is my neighbor's garage door. And if his garage door's open, I'll just wait just a little bit. Do any of you do this? Come on. Let me, come on. Thank you, one confessing Christian in this place. Because you know why? Because your neighbor, if you interact, it involves time. And listen, if you're opening your garage door, you're leaving. Do you realize that? And therefore, they should know you're leaving, but they don't, so you have to wait on them. So you can get out of there. And when you come home, do you do this too? Do you do this? You come home while you're still in the car, man. Not while you're going in the house. You shut that garage door while you're in the car. Because you don't want to talk to them. What I've discovered is this. God has supernaturally placed you in proximity to your neighbor. And he's been involved in it. Whether you like it or not, it says in Acts, he's chosen the places where we live. And so Sharon DeGeorge would be in her driveway across the street, and I would talk to her, and she would talk to me. And, and then it resulted in, I had compassion on her, and I said, can I just pray for you. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I said, can I put my hand on you? Yep, yep, yep. I pray for her. And then I became her priest. 
because I'm her priest, all right? And uh, when she'd see me, she wanted to talk, and then she said, you gotta help me, you gotta help my son. He, he needs a heart transplant, but he won't let them do it because he, he says if they put someone else's heart in him, he can't go to heaven. And I was like, I am busy, I'm a pastor, I'm caring for a lot of people, and I mean, to go to the hospital for you, you're my neighbor, when, when is this gonna end? I didn't say any of that. <laughs> Thought all of it. <laughs> you know that part of you that thinks those things? That's called your flesh. You know what you do with your flesh? Crucify it every day. Put a nail in it. Don't put a nail in its hands. Put it in its heart every day. Wake up and say, I'm going to kill you today. Put it in his heart, all right? Because your flesh is, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. So I go to the hospital. I'm sitting with him in the hospital. Tony is his name. We're talking there. This isn't because I'm so great or so gifted. I'm just, I, I care about Sharon. I love her. And so I go there and he's talking and he says, you know what? If I get another heart in me, then if I die, I, I, I won't be able to go to heaven. I said, Tony, can I tell you something that may be hard for you to understand? You have a diseased physical heart, but you have a diseased spiritual heart. And if you don't have it transplanted, you'll never get to heaven. Your heart is sinful, dark. Have you ever blown it, Tony? Yes. Have you ever said things that dishonor God? Yes. He was convicted. I said, God wants to transplant that heart. Your other heart doesn't matter. That's all going to end up dead and gone. He had a revelation. I said, would you be willing to pray with me to confess your heart is dark and you need a heart transplant to receive his? Yes. We prayed it. I'm sitting on his bed. We finished and I said, well, what do you think? He said, I feel good. I'm going to go ahead with the surgery. He got a new physical heart. He's still alive. He's born again. God did that. Just as simple as I just conveyed it. What was that? Yes, yes, thank you, Lord. That was proximity. That's my neighbor across the street. Then, then she invited me over and I led her mother to the Lord. And then she called up while her mom was dying. And I stood at her bed while she died. Not because I was a pastor, but because I was her neighbor. And I was her neighbor enough to ask her name, care for her. All of you can do this. You don't have to be a pastor. The second law, proximity is first. Next is congruity. In other words, it's in line with who you are uniquely. Proximity, it's where you are. And then congruity, it's in line with who you are. God has wired you perfectly. He has wired you uniquely. You are not supposed to be anybody else. You can't be anybody else. You are no good at trying to be anybody else. Now, we can be inspired by people, but God has uniquely designed you. Les, you're an extrovert, yes, but I am married to an introvert. And God has designed us perfectly. You who are introverts need to know this. Being an introvert is God's gift to you. In a society that's impressed with hype and words, you live in the world of thoughts and peace. I want to affirm you. I want to bless you in the name of Jesus. And I want to ask that God would help you never look down upon yourself for being an introvert Amen. in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you're uniquely designed to flow in your unique design. I remember, I'll never forget it, my son is an introvert. Although he's a tremendous speaker publicly, that's not what he does most of the time. I'll never forget when he was six years old playing under the back deck on the concrete patio 
with Jack, the neighbor from across the street. Now, if I hadn't come around the corner, how many of you have come around the corner and listened to your child talking? It's wonderful, usually, okay? And this was one of those times. And I just happened to hear Jack, six years old, say, I'd rather go to hell than to heaven. No, this is for real. And I was like, oh my goodness, these guys are talking about this? And then Blake, he's an introvert, he said this, why would you say that, Jack? And Jack said, because heaven is boring. And then Blake said this, but what if you're wrong? Forever is a long time to be wrong. I'm astounded. He said, well, if I did want to go to heaven, I don't know how. And Blake said, here's what I did. I told Jesus that I had sinned and I don't want to anymore. I asked him to forgive me, and I asked him to lead my life. Is that it? That's it. Well, I still don't know how to do it. Blake says, would you let me pray and you repeat after me? And under the deck, six years old, Jack prayed and gave his life to the Lord Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And Blake is an introvert, but that was the perfect setting for the perfect congruity of sharing what had changed Blake. Now, this is so crucial. That change has to happen in us. It's more than a prayer up front. It's a reality. I'm forgiven. I'm loved by God. And I am on assignment to be a part of God's rescue mission on planet Earth. Congruity. Proximity. Congruity commonness, what we have in common. Do you know this? People like to talk about the things they like. So common ground often leads to spiritual ground. That may be one of the most profound things I've said all day. <laughs> common ground leads to spiritual ground. The common ground, there is no dog owner who doesn't want to talk about their dog. <laughs> there is no one with ink on their arm who doesn't want to talk about ink on their arm. Dancing, kids, workouts, golf, the corn hunt, the, uh, the, the chiefs, the chiefs, March madness, biking books, it goes on and on and on. People want to talk about these things. And we miss the power of our rescue abilities when we think talking about football is just talking about football. Because little hints come out. You know, rabid, rabid fans, when their team loses, there is a type of real depression. Why? Because it's kind of the only thing in their life. And if you're there and talk about how you used to, if you are, how you used to be that way, and, and, but something happened and you changed, you know what they'll do? They'll say, you know, I used to be that way and then something really amazing happened and I changed. Stop. How'd you change? Do you really want to know? And then share one-fifth of what you want to share. 
Because most Christians are like this, I got a door, I got a door. And if they've got a door, it's like, oh my goodness, oh my God. Jesus, he changed my life. He's the Lord of all salvation. He created everything. And you know what? He came to earth to die. He was incarnate as a man so that he could die for your sins because you have sinned against God. You've blown it in every way. You can't even imagine how deep your sin is. But he came, he forgave. And if you'll repent, make him Lord of your whole life, your whole life will change. And that's how I was freed from my depression. Now, the reality is you didn't see they left during your first sentence. And so that, that really is a problem that you have to be careful. But that common, I had a friend who I met at the gym, and as we got talking, uh, I'm an outdoorsman, I love creation. He just happened to mention in passing, yeah, I have a timber wolf. And I was like, you have a timber wolf? He said, yeah, I have a timber wolf. I said, where'd you get? And he told me where he got it. Full-grown, wild timber wolf. And he had a yard where the front yard was fenced, like a chain leak, like eight feet high. Now, in your neighborhood, you don't have anyone with an eight-foot fence, chain link in the front yard. The whole yard was the wolf's domain, and he took me out to meet the wolf. It was kind of nervous because the, the wolf's, it tackles her up, and he took me out and said, just go real slow. You just stick with me. Just stick with me. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> so I, I was enamored. It was incredible. And then he had cars. He had owned his own house. I was in my early 20s, and I finally asked him, what, I mean, you have a business, you have everything you've dreamed. How, what does it feel like to have everything you've ever wanted, Timberwolf, <laughs> before you're 30 years old? And he stood there, he was an introvert, real quiet, and he said, it feels empty. Now, here's how I could have answered. Wow, that's something. Will your Timberwolf let me pet it? But instead I said, how's that make you feel to feel empty? Sometimes hopeless. Have you ever thought spirituality in your life at all? And it led to a, a conversation about Jesus and how Jesus promised that I've come that you might have life and have it super abundantly. Life that is not dependent on your things that is not dependent on your successes, your accomplishments. It's dependent upon a relationship with your creator that's transformative, and he gives his life to the Lord Jesus, and he changed, Amen. which just was incredible. And so that commonness was the bridge, and all I had to do was listen to the cues. The next is unconditional love. So you've got proximity, you've got congruity, You've got commonness, and then you have unconditional love. How you choose to see every person will make the difference. Unconditional love is best expressed through radical acceptance of where you find people. You mean accepting their sin? Absolutely not. But not allowing their sin to keep you from loving them. Isn't that amazing about Jesus? You're a drunk, you're a party boy, you hang around dirty women, they touch your feet, and you don't do anything. He did not allow the dirtiness of people to keep him from loving them just where they were. Yeah. I love this statement. When you come to LifeGate, we love you just where you are. You don't have to change to be loved but we love you enough to help you become all you were destined to be. 
Do you see that? Not we love you enough to tell you how awful you are and how sinful. No, God's going to do that. Did you know that's the work of the Holy Spirit and not our work? He convicts people. If someone is making you feel guilty by condemning you, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, he convicts people. So a radical acceptance without judging of wherever they are. So the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4, verse 9, said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You got it all wrong, Jesus. And I'm going to say this of the church in our world. Often we've got it all wrong. Because we're afraid of getting near sin for fear of being perceived as condoning sin. So the church, unfortunately, condemns sin and the people who sin, or they condone it. But God's call is for us to live in the messy middle. And the messy middle is, I love you, even though you have this lifestyle or this sin or this, I love you, I love you. And I don't have to tell them all the time. What I want them to know from me is how much I love them, not how wrong I think they are. And if you're really a follower of Jesus, you're going to be such a contrast with who they are. Barna has done his research, and he asked those who don't follow Jesus if they're attracted to Christians and the church, and if not, why not? Here are the three descriptions most consistent. They, uh, they basically are extreme, and they're hypocritical, and they're not in touch with things. They're extreme, they're hypocritical, and they're not in touch with things. Rather than they're unconditionally loving, like Jesus is, they don't condemn. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn, but to rescue you. They're patient and honest. Unfortunately, that is not the case. One of my challenges to us, this is the hard part of the message. It's going to get better. Okay, stick with me here. One of the challenges to you is to never, ever, ever, ever say again or think again, love the sinner, hate the sin. When you say that, people are not able to separate them. And what they hear is, you say you love me, but you hate me. And it never works. But you know why we do that? To make sure everybody knows that I'm not near the sin. Whereas Jesus loved the sinner and didn't have to say how much he hated the sin. God wants to help us here. Rather say this, love the person made in God's image, trust God to rescue them from sin. Let me say it again. Love the person made in God's image. That means every single person. And then trust God to rescue them from their sin. It's really powerful. Okay, we're coming in for a landing here. Here are three ways to really, really love people to Jesus. We've already talked about the intersections, what he sets up, proximity, congruity, commonness, love. Okay, those are, and if you start looking at your life, you're going to see them everywhere. And you know what you'll see? You'll see our tendency is I'm coming to that intersection. Oh, I got to get away from that. I'm here by this because we're too busy. We're too pressed. And we, we haven't received the gift of being interruptible. One of the most profound miracles Jesus did was blind Bartimaeus is crying out to him while he's headed to the cross. You see that? Jesus was interruptible, and the Holy Spirit is interruptible. Okay, follow me. Three ways to love people to Jesus. Receive Jesus' heart on purpose. You see, he said, I'll put a new heart in you, a soft heart in you. 
I love what Paul says to express this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If I act crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly seriously, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and the last word in everything I do. And so by simply saying, God, manifest the love of Christ in me, he'll put you on a moving walkway that goes right into intersections over and over and over. Two days ago, I said, I get up and I say, I go into the airport, Lord, would you give me intersections? I think there were six intersections in that trip home that were divinely orchestrated by God. But if you don't ask for them, you'll tend to miss them. People lost and blind to God are often not very lovable. And that's where God calls us to ask for his love no matter what it costs, how they look. You see, when we follow the heart of Jesus, we begin to see Jesus' fruit through our lives. When Jesus landed on the other side, he saw a crowd and he was moved with compassion. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel Jesus' love for others? Would you start asking for his heart for others? The first thing to do is receive Jesus' heart. It's not yours. You know, my love is so limited. I run out very quickly. But when I ask for his supernatural love, that's the power, the Holy Spirit's power. It's endless love. Number two, ask real questions. This one will change your life. Questions have the power to slow intersections down and open up opportunities. They slow them down so you're not rushing through. Your questions should be other-focused questions that values them, shows interest. Learn to talk with people about their lives, not your life. Talk with them about their lives. It's the normal beginning to most spiritual conversations. Rather than telling them what you believe, here's one of the most powerful questions in the whole world. How's your day today? You know what? People want to talk about their day. Here's another powerful question. You can write these down. What's your name? And then remember their name. Do you know one of the words people love hearing more than any other word on planet Earth is their name? So last night we had a waitress. Her name is Emma. I made it a point to say Emma as many times as I could. Are you glad school's out? What student isn't glad? How long have you worked here? Where did you go to high school? That's a big question. If you're in a town like Kansas City, it opens up that opportunity. And eventually you could ask the question, hey, have you found a good church here in town? Not do you go to church? What's the name of your church? Are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Have you found a good, yeah, I'm newer here. I don't know the city. I can say that really well because I mean, I'm new here. And have you found a good church or not? And you know what they'll most often do? They'll unpack their spirituality and their guilt almost every time. And then you can navigate that. Don't be surprised if people open up spiritual doors. Why are you so interested in me? Why are you so nice? Questions cause people to yield in the intersection. Better than almost any, anything else. This is so important. I went to Subway. I go to Subway a lot. And I just happened to ask God, God, do you have anything to say to the Subway gal? Pretty needy gal, 
young, but with no teeth. And uh, even though she's probably in her, in her early 30s and, and hard life. And so I go through, I discover no one's there. Perfect opportunity. We're checking out. And, and she looks at me and she says, it'll be this much money. And I said, hey, can I tell you something? She says, sure. I said, sometimes God whispers to me about people. And I was praying for you today. That word right there arrests people. You were what? I was praying for you today, and I thought I heard God whisper, tell her how much I love her, and the thing she's been asking for, I'm about to do. That's pretty simple. It was just an impression through my mind. I told her that. She looks at me, and she says this, who told you? I said, really, I, I don't know what it is, but I believe God told me. Notice I'm not saying God told me this. I said, I, I believe God may have told me this. She said, oh, this is incredible. This is incredible. I said, I hope that encourages. I left. You didn't lead her to the Lord? Nope. It wasn't time to lead her to the Lord. It was time to let her know she's loved by God. And so this is so important for us to understand. Next, and this is probably the most powerful, offer simple prayers. The first we said was that we're, we're really going to be interested in them. And in that interest in their lives, we want to make sure in that process to receive the love of God in your heart, to ask real questions. And your whole world is filled with real questions everywhere. Just practice it. Just practice it, okay? Even if it doesn't lead anywhere, practice asking questions. You know what it's doing? It's shifting a consumer mindset in our world to a compassionate mindset. You know, when I am at a restaurant, many, many Christians and other people are very touchy with how the waiter serves you because if it's not just right, I'm paying you money and you need to do what I want you to do. And many, many Christians change. They're not even Christians. They're just consumers. When I go to a restaurant, I'm going to eat there, but my server is made in the image of God and my role is to serve them as they serve me. If every Christian did that, look out planet earth. Few things in life are more difficult to avoid than the power of prayer. Prayers make it hard for people to go to hell. Spencer's my waiter. He waits on me all the time. Amazing guy, beautiful African-American guy who's filled with this vision of his own business and all of these things. So I ask the question that I ask nearly every time I go somewhere to eat and I have someone serving me. I'll say this, hey, before we eat, we always thank God because he's so kind to us. Is there any way that we could pray for you for anything? Spencer's like, I, I kid you not, 99% of them do this. Hmm. 40% of them start crying immediately. No one, get this, no one has ever in their entire life asked them if they could pray for them specifically. They start crying. Spencer tells me, each time I see him, I remember his name. How do I remember his name? I say, Firebirds, Spencer. New business. I do that. And when I go to Firebirds next, I look. Firebirds, Spencer, new business. Okay. See, I'm not, I'm not special. Okay. 
And so I'm there, Spencer, how are you doing? Ah, you remember my name. Of course I did. I made a point of remembering your name. How's your business thing coming up? Then one time he says this, hey, I'm reading a good book. I love to read. I said, do you love reading? He said, I love to read. I read about business. I read about this. I read about that. And I said, I wrote a book. Now watch this. You wrote a book. I want to read it. Would you give me a copy? I'll read it. Crazy. I said, absolutely. I'll go get one right now. I finish eating. I go get him a book. I give it to him. I write in it. And uh, the book is brand new. It's to help people discover Jesus or if they've met him, grow in him. So I give him that book and, I'll, and I said to him, tell me what you think about it. I didn't go to that restaurant for two months. Life, all this stuff. I go into the restaurant. I'm walking to my table. I hear, less, less, less. I, I turn and it's Spencer, less. And he stops me and he says, I read it. I read it, and like a dummy, I said, you read it? He said, I read it. Because when you're an author, the, the most amazing things that anyone ever reads, what you wrote. I read it. I said, you, you did, you read it. And then he said this, yes, I gave my keys to Jesus. I've given him everything. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. This is incredible. Incredible. He read a book and the Holy Spirit, because he's so good at this, led him to say, Jesus, I give you not only my sins, I give you my entire life. I wanted to bring brand new. I forgot. It tells you how serious I am. I keep three in my car all the time because I've realized this book has the ability if they're just open spiritually to give it to them and they can meet Jesus by reading this simple book because it'll lead them through this. How can I pray for you? Would you say that? How can I pray for you? One more time. How can I pray for you? I dare you. Let me ask you a question. Would you be open to offering someone prayer sometime this week and really doing it. I've maybe had three people in the last 20 years say no. No, I don't, I don't believe in God. And then I'll pray for them anyway. <laughs> Everybody, do you see this? Go and make disciples. Watch this. Hey, we always pray before our meal. Is there anything I can pray for you? See, someone has to sow love. Someone has to cultivate it. Others will reap it. Some will reap because they just read this simple book and the Holy Spirit does it. Some will reap because they say, you're so different. And, and you say, you'll, I go to this church that's just so normal and Jesus is so real. That, are, would you like to go? See, we have this fear in us that I, I need to know the four spiritual laws. If I don't know them, I can't say anything. But what you can do is love people. You can ask them questions. You can offer them prayer, and if, you, if they say no, you're going to pray anyway. And each time you do that, the spiritual atmosphere changes. Heaven enters the situation. Hell is rocked on its heels because a Christian's finally taking their assignment to rescue seriously. Amen. Let me tell you something about you. Someone is trying to die in your drop zone. I want to commission you to not put up with it. 
Don't put up with it. Start real simple. Okay, I've got something. The love of God is in me. And this prayer thing is in me. Can I impart it to you? Impartation is me giving you something God's given me and releasing it to you. I can't lay hands on all of you, but I can pray. If this is your desire, would you put your hands out? Now, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I ask, Lord, that what you've put in me, this compelling love that loves people and wants to see them rescued, and then that has creative ways of the most simple things, I pray that right this moment, you would release it into each person. You would impart it into them that the love of God would start to compel them and overwhelm them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Can we applaud the Lord and welcome Pastor David? It's too good to be done there. Let's just stand. Can we just do that for 30 more seconds? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I just feel like this is uh, so critical for us, and it's so obvious on your life. Um, I've watched Pastor Les do this so many times. I just want to marinate here just a little Jeez. bit longer, Pastor Les. We just take a moment Jesus. and just just a little bit more. Just pray Jesus. for us. We'd receive this. Jesus. God would impart this on us. Jesus. Be a part of our daily life. Jesus, thank you. You said this so clearly. When he comes, you're going to receive power. Yes. Power to be my testifiers in prayer power to be my testifiers in asking questions power to be my testifiers in opening doors for people power to be my testifiers in not closing the garage too quickly power to be my testifiers in asking for divine appointments I pray that this church would be wildly contagious that COVID would pale in the light of the contagion of the love of God, the life of God, the kindness of God, the, inquis the inquisitiveness of God. All those things would be released in this people. And I pray this, that in the days ahead, they would be days of great increase. People with questions, people who want to be loved, people who want to be around people who are positive. Lord, fill this house create more services. Lord, convince them this building you've given them is your divine gift, not for them, but for those they're going to love, those they're going to care for. We need more space, God, more space for more people to know God and be rescued by him. And then, Lord, to rescue others, I pray, put this in our heart. Establish it in the DNA of this house, this wild rescuing people who do this in the most creative, the loudest, the quietest, the most pressing, the most gentle ways that we could ever imagine, Lord, because it's you, oh God. And then, Lord, help us never forget what it felt like to not know you, what it felt like to be filled with guilt, and then motivate us, God, beyond just our own human motivation. Holy Spirit, give us your motivation in Jesus' name.